Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. This morning we'll be looking here at the account of the awful history of that betrayer, Judas Iscariot. Our Lord said of him, Good were it for that man if he had never been born. Now, Judas Iscariot was not merely said to have been tempted of the devil, but that he was a devil. And Satan entered into him and took the possession of him, not partly, but entirely. Verse 18, our Lord is speaking here. We read these words. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the, the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. The Lord Jesus refers again to what he said in verse 11. Ye are not all clean. When our Lord spoke of the washing of regeneration, the redemption and forgiveness through his blood and the daily cleansing, humility and devotion of true believers to their Lord and to one another. He was not speaking of Judas, not this one who was a hypocrite and a pretender, this one who would soon betray him, Judas Iscariot. In effect, our Lord is saying here, and at that most plainly, I know whom I have chosen. I know who I've, who I've chosen to salvation. I know whom I have chosen to eternal life. I know whom I have chosen to persevere in the way, the truth, and the life. Notice the words of our Lord here. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Unmistakably, this is the fulfillment of the prophetic word of King David that we just heard read to us just a moment ago, who wrote in Psalm 41, verse 9, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. We see here the Lord Jesus Christ himself at his last supper, expressing, declaring most plainly how that Judas Iscariot is the one of whom David wrote, how that this single man, Judas Iscariot, was the fulfillment of the scripture. Verse 19. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am. Our Lord tells the disciples here how that one of them would betray him. Our Lord would tell them of many other things, such as Peter's denial, and how that they would all forsake him, and that he would give his life a ransom for his elect and his death and resurrection and the world's hatred of him and the persecution from the religious Jews. And to what end did he prophesy all of these things? The Lord tells them that ye may believe that I am. You can drop that last word there in italics, he. In effect, our Lord is saying, I am telling you all this before it comes to pass, so that ye may believe that I am God. Indeed, when all of these things came to pass, 
they would believe that he is the promised Messiah, the one who is said of the prophet Isaiah, a child shall be born, a son shall be given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and you shall call his name Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. Beloved, he is the Lord God omniscient, who knows and declares all things before they come to pass. One of the greatest proofs that Jesus is the Christ is the fact that the Scriptures are fulfilled in him. Do you remember what our Lord said to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus? Our Lord declared to them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. My sinner friend, do you know what the Bible is about? It's a book concerning him. My sinner friend, only when God grants you his grace in Christ, then and only then will you understand the scriptures. For apart from the grace of God to hear and receive the Lord Jesus Christ declaring, the scriptures are they which testify of me. My friend, if you don't hear him, if you don't receive him, if you don't believe on him, you'll never understand the scriptures, for he is the only one who can open this book to you. Verse 20. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. We see here our Lord comforting and assuring his disciples with these words. Verily, verily. Truly, truly, I have chosen you and have sent you forth in my name to preach the gospel. You are my ambassadors and sent of me as the Father has sent me. Those who receive the ministers of the gospel, chosen, called, and sent by Christ, those who believe and embrace their gospel, receive Christ in whose name they come. And those who receive Christ as preached in the everlasting gospel receive the Father of Christ and partake of his grace. Keep your place in John chapter 13 and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And look there. We'll pick up reading there in verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. All right, John 13, verse 21. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. It is frequently said in Scripture how that our Lord groaned in himself, how that he was troubled in spirit. Isaiah reports how that the Messiah, the Christ, would be a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. All of this shows 
our Lord to be a real man, one with a human soul. We read in the book of Hebrews how our Lord was made like us and tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now, beloved, he was not grieved or troubled by what would happen to him, but rather at the evil nature, betrayal and blackness of the betrayal of Judas Iscariot, the betrayal that he would commit. And further, up to this point, while he had suggested that one who had shared his fellowship would betray him, he said earlier in John chapter 6, verse 70, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? So it was not until this point that he had stated it so plainly, One of you shall betray me. And so we see here how greatly this troubled the Lord and further how it would be a stunning blow for the disciples to realize that one of their own group would hand him over to the authorities to be, to be killed. The fall of a so-called friend or brother is always most difficult, most, a most difficult burden to bear. And so we see here how the Lord was troubled as he makes this known to his disciples. Verse 22. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. All of the disciples, surprised and astonished, looked from one to another. They didn't have the slightest idea of whom the Lord spoke. Now, evidently, up to this point, Judas had behaved as well as any of them had. He had shown as much zeal, enthusiasm, and dedication as the rest. He had given no occasion for anyone to suspect, suspect him more than any other. For they looked not on Judas, but at one another. I've heard it said many times by faithful ministers of the gospel, and it's true. Only the Lord can truly discern the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goats. If you look there with me just a few chapters earlier in John chapter 10, beginning there in verse 25, and it's very important that we remember who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He is God manifest in the flesh, the one who knows the beginning from the end, the one whose eyes are aflame with fire, and he looks at other men like no other man can, knowing the beginning from the end. And in verse 25, we see these words. John chapter 10, verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. That's a very solemn statement. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can look at a man and declare the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end, and say, you're not my sheep, or you are my sheep. I'm so thankful for the words that follow, beloved. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give. <laughs> no, it's not an offer. He sovereignly gives life to his people. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Why is that, beloved? Because he's the author and finisher of our faith, indeed the author and finisher of our salvation. Matthew records, going back to John chapter 13 now, Matthew records of this account, how exceedingly sorrowful they all were, and how they began, every one of them, to say unto him, Lord, is it I? 
one of you will betray me. And all of them, all of them said, Master, is it I? And true to form, old Judas pretentiously asked the Lord. He too asked the Lord, Master, is it I? And the Lord said to him, Thou hast said. Verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Now I've come to understand how that this leaning on Jesus' bosom was related to the way the Jews used to eat their meals. You see, John was not sitting in a chair upright, leaning on Christ, which would have been too intimate and very uncomfortable. Rather, the Jews reclined on pillows at meals, or they sat down low on a very low table. And so John was nearest to Christ, reclining at his, on, on his side next to the Savior. Now, John does not refer to himself by name, but usually with this statement, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Christ, as the Son of God and the surety of his people, loves all his elect alike, not more, not one more than the other. Perhaps as a man, the Lord had a particular affection for John and admitted him near his person and more in his confidence. But further, I believe that John the Evangelist, as the writer of this gospel, does not want to draw attention to his own name, but chooses instead to write, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Think of it like this. If you have a name tag, I suppose you could write uh, Joseph, Gary, or Ray, or James on the name tag, if that was your name. But what a blessing to have the Holy Spirit testify with your spirit that you're one of those whom Jesus loved. I'd much much rather write those words than Joseph D. Murphy. <laughs> would much rather say, who am I? I'm one of those Jesus loved. I'm one of those whom he has washed in his precious blood. And so we see Peter beckoning to John, who was so, in proximity at least, closest to Christ, and perhaps in fellowship as well, that he should ask the Lord of whom he spake. And so John accordingly asked the question, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, I'll just read through to verse 28. Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this unto him. Now, some say that the Lord whispered to John, for if he had spoken out loud, the rest of the disciples would have known for what purpose Judas left. He it is to whom I shall give a sop, that is, a morsel. So after the Lord dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas, saying unto him, that thou doest, do quickly. The Lord was saying, in effect, to Judas, what you do, do quickly. And so not one at the table, except for perhaps John, to whom this indication was given, knew why the Lord said these words to Judas. That thou doest, do quickly. Verse 29. 
For some of them thought because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Now some of the disciples thought to themselves, because Judas carried the money as a treasure, that perhaps the Lord was sending him to buy supplies or to give something to the poor. They had no idea whatsoever that Judas was the betrayer whom Satan had entered and wholly possessed. They were completely and totally unaware that Judas was going, even now, to make arrangements with the chief priests and elders to sell and betray his Lord for 30 pieces of silver. Another reason he whispered only to John was to prevent any reprisal against Judas on the part of the eleven. Had they known Judas' intentions, they no doubt would have prevented him. Can you imagine what Peter would have done? Consider his actions in the garden when he would have defended the Lord. Judas must be allowed to do what he did as he did it with no hindrance from others. As soon as Judas received the sop, he left fearing discovery and fully motivated by Satan went to arrange for his betrayal. And we read there in the latter part of verse 30, and it was night, which is a fitting time for such a dark deed. All right, well, we'll conclude it there. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, once again we come before your throne of grace only through the precious blood and the broken body of your dear Son. We come to you, Father, through his doing and dying. So thankful for the gospel of our salvation that we heard once again this morning. I do beg you, Father, in your Son's matchless name, for Christ's sake, for his glory and the good of thy people, take the words we've heard this morning and bless them to the hearts of your people gathered here. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your Son. And we do beg you and, and thank you in your Son's matchless name our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. Amen.